Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story on your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon, and we are in season seven. I hope you are enjoying these stories as much as we are. We love Adoption Now. If you are new to the show, we tell stories from the perspective of adoptees, birth parents, and adoptive parents. My husband Noah and I have four children through adoption, and we started the show as a radio program in Denver, and it has become the international podcast you hear today. We are so honored that so many people worldwide trust us to share their story in adoption. And we really have learned so much. We have grown. We are better parents. We, if we have an issue, we go to adoptees and say, help us. What, what can we do? And they give great advice on how to raise children with complex questions, you know, dealing with a bigger story and extended issues, so to speak, can be really challenging. And so we have this community here where we can go to people and they can help us on our way. All right, guys, big news. The website is up. The new website's up. We're so excited. Check it out. I love the mug. I'm like obsessed with the mug. You have to look at the mug. I I, <laughs> I get so silly about merchandise, but I think it's really cool. And the baby onesies are way too cute. We ordered some for our friends and it's just so cute. So check it out at adoptionnowpodcast.com. Okay, so this is really exciting. Today, we have a guest on who emailed me, and this is so, so crazy. She emailed me and said, I heard about your show from a lady who my grandma worked with in like 1990 in Michigan. And she's like, I heard about your show. And it was a name I haven't heard in so long. And the craziest part is that she works for Dave Ramsey. And if you listen to the show, you know, I always say when a family comes on and they talk about how they went into debt during their adoption, I say, what would Dave Ramsey say about that? Well, guess what? Today, we're going to find out what Dave Ramsey does say about that. Jessica Ross is here, and she's a fellow Michigander, but now she lives in Tennessee to work for Dave Ramsey Solutions. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hey, April. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Isn't this a crazy connection? Crazy. We could not have constructed this ourselves. No, absolutely. God had his hand in this because Miss Sally Jackson is close to your family, and my grandma worked with her. My mom actually cut her hair. It's so random. We're talking about Such like a small world. 25 years ago, like more than that, 30 years ago. I mean, I was a little girl. And here's this connection. We both ended up adopting and both from Michigan and just um, here to, to share our adoption journey. Like only God could have known that. Exactly. All right, let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about you and your husband got married and you moved to Tennessee. And were you trying to start a family? We weren't trying, but we weren't not trying, if that makes sense. So we were kind of leaving it in the Lord's hands. We wanted a family at some point, but I was kind of glad that we didn't have kids for our transition from Michigan to Tennessee because that probably would have complicated a little more. But I was really excited once we got to Tennessee to think about that more. 
How did you even think about working for Dave Ramsey? It was kind of a pipe dream initially. And I just got to the point where, you know what Dave says, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was on vacation in Florida one day and was like, you know what, let me jump on the website, see what's there. I know it's not going to happen, but I'm going to throw an application in there. And uh, I got a call the next day. So things started to spiral in a good way there. So and here I am, I've been here almost a decade. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Now, you are going to tell us what Dave Ramsey says about this, because when you applied to be on the show, you sent me a link where you were recently on his show talking about adoption. And it is a movement, I think, that needs to happen with churches and giving and supporting families who are going through adoption like he did with you. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's just talk about your journey. So tell us you're at church. This is a crazy story. You're at church. And what happens? (laughs) So we're at church and a couple of our friends, husband and wife, have been taking care of this little girl who um, is family to them and they're friends of ours. So we kind of knew a little bit of the story. I'm at the piano. I'm I'm accompanying piano that day for church and my husband's down kind of in the audience in the in the class. And so we're kind of facing each other a little bit as our friends, husband and wife share a prayer request with the group basically just asking prayer for this little girl that they had. Um, They had custody of her at that moment because they were family to um, the birth mom. And they were looking to go to the mission field. And they couldn't have a child who was in limbo, as in they hadn't adopted her and she hadn't been placed. So nothing was official. And so their mission board had basically said, you either need to adopt her or you need to find a new home for her. That prompted them to raise this prayer request to the group and basically say, hey, help us. We're either praying that we could adopt her or that we could have a good Christian family adopt her. And it was so funny because I looked down from the the piano and my husband and I just make eye contact. And he would describe it a little bit differently, but um, I looked at him and we just made that connection. We just, you know, the look. And so after after that uh, service was over, I went down to talk with them. And my recollection was I basically said, hey, are you in? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm in. Are you in? And we didn't really even have to talk about what either one was talking about. God had laid it on both of our hearts to say, yep, we want to step up. We want to be this girl's mom and dad. I just think this is so amazing because I'm surprised that the family – didn't want to adopt her. That's the biggest amazement to me is that they had her since she was a baby and that they weren't going to pursue adoption, which is pretty rare. Usually if a family member hasn't had her and they get offered, do you want to take this baby? Then they can say, no, I don't think we're right. But once you have the baby in your home and you love the baby and you're caring for the baby, I'm surprised that they didn't decide to just move forward and, and adopt the baby you know, that they were putting this prayer request out. And that just feels like, gosh, that's such a God story, right? That they knew that they weren't going to be the one to raise um, the baby. What was the baby's name? Her name was Angelica at the time. Okay. And how old was she? Did you say? At this point, she would have been six or seven months old. Okay. So you were going to adopt a six or seven month old baby. And now (laughs) this is where the story gets crazy, everyone. Hold on. Because... This is not normal. 
when I ask questions, and I, I think you get this a lot, but you just like got the baby, right? You just agreed. Basically. And then you didn't have to do a home study. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this was in June. This was in the summer of 17. And we had custody by the end of October that same year. So because the child's aunt and uncle, Angelica's aunt and uncle, were family, apparently they could grant custody to us or advocate to us. And their word went a long way with the judge and with the courts because the courts just granted us custody just like that. I just can't believe that. Usually that does not happen. You can't just choose where the baby goes and you would have to do a home study and it would be a whole thing. So what were birth parents saying at that time? At that time, the aunt and uncle, when I say they advocated for us, they were instrumental in talking with the birth parents as well as the courts. They did what they needed to do to say, hey, we know we're not the ones anymore. Here's a clear path. Here's a clear route to a loving family that can give her care until something final happens. So they were already having conversations with birth mom and birth dad and kind of getting them a little more accepting of the idea. And as far as custody went, that went really smoothly. The birth parents were supportive of that. So were you nervous that they were going to change their mind? Every minute of every day. Really? (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was nervous that they were going to change their minds. And, and I think they did for some things. Um, but I was also nervous that that was going to change the situation. I didn't know if they had enough control over the situation or if they could influence the courts. Mm-hmm. But I was that was probably one of my biggest fears through the process. Okay. Why was the baby with the aunt and uncle? They didn't want yes. to raise the baby? So, They definitely wanted to, and I would say that birth mom very strongly wanted to to raise her baby. However, when the baby was three weeks old, and then again, when she was three months old, she sustained a life-threatening injury. And both times, it was a very similar situation where it caused a brain bleed and seizures as a result. So she was immediately rushed to the hospital. Um, the first time. And then when it happened again at three months, the hospital recognized that this was a pattern. So that's when CPS stepped in and took her out of the birth parents' home and placed her with family. Okay. So this is an abuse situation. Yes. Which changes the complete journey, right? Because now, now it's about protecting the child rather than a choice per se. Right, right. Did you recognize that was a difference when you started the journey? Not really. I think because we knew the child and we were starting to get to know her and starting to uncover her story along the way. I think we were just so committed to her, parenting her, that it was it was almost like God equipping us along the way with what we needed to care for her, regardless of, of what came up. Because with abuse, there's a lot of things that can that can happen later on. But at some point, did you feel like with abuse in the mix of that, that you had, I guess, a better opportunity to continue on with the adoption? Yes, that definitely supported our case. I wish it had supported it stronger. Which is <laughs> um, shocking, right? Yes. Just- 
Yes. Yes. Learning about adoption is crazy, right? It is. Every story is different, but yes, you would think that our our case that we were building to not even against the birth parents or anything. It was just, we were advocating for the child. We wanted the child in our home. Right. It wasn't easier because of that. Okay. And how were, how were they related? Was it a uh, birth mom's sister? Yes. That had yes. the, okay. Birth and there's, mom's sister. And there's an age difference, right? Sister, and then her. It's a little sister, yes. but now you have the baby and it's, we're like six, seven months in or eight months, probably by the time you actually got her. And what did you do? If you don't have a home study, did you hire an attorney? Did, what were the next steps for this adoption? That's kind of what I was thinking. What do I do? <laughs> and our first, our first thought was we have this child almost overnight, right? Which thankfully we had the support of the aunt and uncle. We had the support of our church, our friends. My people here at Ramsey, um, but we basically made our first focus. Okay, we're parents. We should probably figure this out and take care of this baby. So that was always the priority. It almost made it a little harder to take a step back and say, hey, she's not yours permanently. You need to figure out how to make this a forever thing. And so we didn't hire an attorney initially. The, the child had her own attorney, her own guardian at Lightum, who was really helpful in giving us some direction initially. And with the injury she sustained, she also had therapists. So she had th three different therapists at the time. So we were leaning on them a little bit. We were leaning on her guardian at Lightum, her attorney. And then we were also leaning on CASA, Child Advocacy Services. And between all of those parties, I was trying to glean okay, what do I do next? What's the right step? And every time I kept hearing, oh, you just got custody, just like you did, April, you just got custody. We're not sure what to do with that. This right. is a really unique adoption. This is a really unique situation. I'm like, that's cool. I've heard that enough. How do we I need forward? answers. How do we finalize? <laughs> I know it's yes. weird, but I need answers. <laughs> yes, yes. So it, my, my team here at Ramsey, they were so grace-filled and they just had a lot of patience with me because my second full-time job became figuring out what in the world I was going to do, what my husband and I needed to do, steps we needed to take to make sure this was a forever thing. I love that he supported you. And we're going to talk about Dave Ramsey in a little bit. But the clip that you sent me, my favorite thing is when he said, it doesn't matter what journey you take in adoption, it's all hard. And it's true. Because there are some people that would listen to this and they'd say, oh my gosh, you were at church and you basically got a baby handed to you. Everybody wants just a baby handed to them. But the journey <laughs> that it, it you went on afterwards was not easy. It was expensive. It was confusing. You didn't even know where to start. You wanted the baby to be finalized. But you know, mom and um, birth dad were involved as well. And there was a lot of money and emotions going on in that process. Talk to us about that. Yes. So the money, naturally working for Dave, the money was the biggest concern I had going into it. But it was kind of like you said, we started on the lazy river and then we ended up getting whiplash on this roller coaster later on in the process. So what I thought going into it, that finances were going to be the hardest part the emotional part was definitely the hardest. And so walking through that, we eventually hired our attorney. It was probably two and a half, 
three years into the process. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, we're talking right around 2019, 2020, when the, the child actually was assigned a different guardian at litem, a different attorney. And I could tell things shifted a little bit when that happened because we were getting a lot more support. And he was great. He ended up recommending the lawyer that we hired as our lawyer. And so now we have, I think at this point, five lawyers, our lawyer, our child's lawyer, each birth parent had their own lawyer and then DCS lawyer. Oh my goodness. So you can probably guess what happened. A whole lot of nothing <laughs> with everybody involved. And so we were uh, blessed to have such a great attorney who could really direct us and push us through um, the best way to navigate the process, which was, I'm probably jumping the gun here, but we, we actually realized that we would need to pursue an open adoption Ooh. with birth parents surrendering their rights. You know what? I love talking to you because that's such a new concept for you. I'm in the world where open adoption, we talk about it all the time. And then I was talking to you and kind of went back to, oh yeah, the beginning stages of realizing what an open adoption is, what that means for you and birth family and the child. I want to ask you, did she have your daughter any long-term um, you said she needed care, but did she have anything happen long-term from the abuse? I guess long-term diagnosis. Not a long-term diagnosis. She actually tested out of physical therapy, occupational therapy, and early intervention by two years old. She had a neurologist as well, and they couldn't find anything. At that point, they said, no, nope, she's good to go. I think she still has some effects of it. Um, but if you met her, you would never, and you saw her on the video, you would never even know. She functions just like a typical kid. Did you know that when you brought her home? We did not know she was going to turn out. I mean, obviously you don't know, but no. you know, do they say like this could be potentially a special needs child from what she's yes. gone through? They did. Yes. Okay. So you were well and aware and you were okay was. with that. A lot of we times, you know, you don't know if you're good with it until you know you're good with it. Because they ask you in an agency, yes. if you went to an agency, you would have to fill something out and you would have to talk about that. Yes to special needs. Yes to drug exposure or yes or no. You know, you would kind of say what you would be okay with. And sometimes when you say no to special needs, you're actually saying no to a perfectly healthy child. You know, in our case, we said no, that we would not do special needs. And I don't know, we were thinking that we were just going to have a perfect, you know, situation. And AJ actually was special needs. And that's how they presented him. And they were like, we know you said no, but here's this baby. And as soon as we saw him, we we're like, oh, my gosh, whatever he needs, we'll, we're jumping in. But you, we wouldn't have known that unless we were in the situation. But for you, would you have put, yes, I would be okay with special needs? Yeah, at the very beginning? I don't know. I don't know that we would have. I don't know that I would have been that brave. And I think that God knew that. He gave us the child first. And then he allowed us to walk through all those things, which I'm grateful for. Because if I had known everything that would have happened, I probably would have gone scared and maybe run for the hills. Right. Because three years to still have lawyers and no, you know, finalization is really hard. It is. And 
at that point, were birth parents thinking they wanted to take her back? I mean, now we're three years down the road. Did they even have the option? I don't believe they had the option. I think their lawyers were trying to do what they could to give them hope. Because they the wanted process. They wanted the child back? Yes. Okay. At least birth mom did, yes. And I think that the attorneys might have been giving them, doing a disservice by, by offering them false hope, potentially, that they get her back. And did she know them? Did the child know? What did you name her? We named her Gabby. Were Gabriella, they okay with you which changing? Which was her middle name. Okay. Okay. So did they Gabby know her? <laughs> yeah. Did Gabby yes. know her? Okay. Yeah. So if she knew both of them. All right. What age did things start to change? So when the attorney recommended our, our attorney, our lawyer, that started to shift things. We got a little scared of the financial side and because retainers are expensive. I don't know if you've heard lawyers are really expensive. So, but as soon as we enlisted the help of our lawyer and figured out what type of adoption we were going to pursue, things started to shift. And this was now about three years in. So 2020, mid 2020, which was actually a great year for us. We got a lot of leeway because all the courts were meeting virtually. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to go in. And that kind of helped speed things up. So um, that started a shift. We started getting some answers and we started working on the biggest piece of the puzzle, which was a post-adoption visitation agreement. That document alone took about a year, year and a half to agree on with us and then with birth parents. So you came to the conclusion that you're going to have an open adoption. Yes. But how that was going to play out went back and forth for a year and a half? For a year and a half, yes. And we knew what we wanted, but we needed to lean on our lawyer. She'd done this many times, and she just has a way with words, making sure that we feel comfortable and that we know exactly what we're agreeing to because this is the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't want to agree to something that we don't have any intention of going mm-hmm. through it. And we want to honor the birth parents and it's healthy for her to be able to see them. And what you're saying is you didn't want to sign a document that you couldn't keep up for the next 15 years, right? This is a long time. I mean, if she's right. five years old, like fifth, am I doing that right? No, that's till she's 20. I have bad math, 13 years. Math is hard. <laughs> so, and, and, and if you heard last week, I said that I was homeschooling now. Now you can see why I don't love homeschooling because I have to do math every day and I'm not even good at it. So for the next 13 <laughs> years, you have to commit to this. And I think everybody needs to think about that. If you say you're going to send that picture every single month or you're going to allow that phone <laughs> call or you're going to allow birthday parties, think about that before you sign. I'm not saying don't do it because if you're willing to do it, that's great. But it's the duration of the child's life when she's under 18 or he's under 18. And that should be negotiated. But a year and a half seems like a really long time. It's a long time, yes. And we were pretty quick in what we wanted, what we decided. Every once in a while, we'd lean lean on our lawyer to say, hey, does this sound right? Does this seem okay? We're talking about, you know, a decade and a half. And so... It was really neat the way it turned out. I don't think it needed to take that long and lawyers are expensive. But what we what we agreed upon really has given us good boundaries 
And it almost makes me excited for, for visits. It really has structured it to where not only everyone's comfortable, but she is safe and she feels safe and she knows she's safe. And like you mentioned earlier, at the end of the day, at the end of the visit, she comes home with us. We get to put her to bed. So I'm really, I was frustrated at the time, but I'm really glad that we took the time to figure out what was going to be best for everybody. And what did you decide on? Yeah, so some of the key highlights, we have every other month visits up to four hours. So if we're visiting for five minutes, we're still in compliance. But that has to take place every other month as as we're able to. Um, We also put in there that birth parents have to initiate visits. And they can't initiate visits for each other. They have to do that on their own, which causes them to take that responsibility, them to take that step because we're not going to assume they want to see her. I hope that they want to see her, but that needs to be their responsibility. You know, we're busy. My husband's homeschooling and I'm working full time, so we can't be chasing them down for visits. And then we also get FaceTime calls with them every other month where they don't have a physical visit. So they're able to jump in and take advantage of each of those things. And we can have supervised or unsupervised visits based on what we're comfortable with. And do they keep up with that? Have they been doing that? For the most part. Yeah. For the most part. Birth moms like clockwork. I love it. I respect it so much that she'll reach out and say, hey, let's go ahead and start talking about this month's visit. And she's always been really respectful. She's always been really helpful with that. I think what I would be concerned with, and this is always my concern, is not your part, right? Not are you going to fulfill your part. But once the child is used to seeing her birth mom and having her birth mom in her life, and then birth mom decides, I don't really want to do this anymore, five to six years in, then you have to explain, well, birth mom, you know, is taking a little break. And this does happen where they start their own life or it just becomes too emotional or for whatever reason, they stop contacting the child. And when the child is old enough to know they had a relationship and then they don't, that is really, really hard. So as much as it's a lot to continue on with an open adoption, once you've made that connection, it's important to keep it going on both sides, not just adoptive parents. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And the way Gabby looks at it is like another party. She Aww. thinks it's super nice to have it. She gets really excited. We actually have one coming up later this week. And um, she really looks forward to it. But you're right. I think she would feel something missing if after, you know, three, four, five months, she didn't see birth mom, birth dad. Mm-hmm. We're really shifting adoption into the next generation, which is not just about the adoptive parent. A lot of times people just talk to the adoptive parent and the birth parent is like over here, right? It's like, oh, well, they made these bad choices. So they're over here. And now we are bringing in the bio parents. And I think for other people, it's hard for them to understand that. And I think that it's an extension of love and you have this relationship that you do have to cultivate. You do have to respect. And a lot of times people will weigh in and be like, Oh, you don't have to do that. She did this or she did that, but you agreed to it. And it's an opportunity for you to also love her and help her in her healing process as well. And for her to know, we didn't take away your child. I always tell families to 
say that. We're not taking away your child. Thank you for letting us raise this baby. But we also want you to be a part of our lives too. And that is a whole shift for the church, for the entire adoption community. I mean, it's like for a lot of people, they cannot wrap their head around that. It just seems like that would be just so terrible. But we're seeing healthy children come out of it, right? It's not the closed adoption. We're not talking about it and we pretend you're not even adopted. You're our kid and that's the end of it. And now it's like, no, we're talking about adoptions and we don't want kids to be confused or asking questions. We want them to know the answers early on and process that early. And that's just a part of their story. And so we're helping with that narrative for them. And honestly... I have one closed adoption. And like I said to you before, it's harder. And I never thought I would say that. And I wanted it to be closed just so I could have the baby, you know, because I was uneducated. I didn't understand all that. But now that the girls have open adoption and um, our son doesn't, it's much harder for us to answer questions. And he asked me some like painstaking things that I don't, I can't give him the answer. And sometimes I feel that's harder. And so I am pro open adoption. I do know that it's hard, but long term, what you've done to forgive her and love her will change even her trajectory for the next generation. And I just really believe that I know that that was hard and especially a year and a half of going back and forth. But Gabby is really going to grow from that. And what a story. I want to talk about the money part, though. I know you said that that was like yes. not the biggest part, <laughs> but in working for Dave Ramsey, so many families, and I'm telling you, they have done Dave Ramsey and they've done the envelopes and they've gotten out of debt and they're doing awesome. And then they get involved and they owe $32,000 or I just had a family say that the agency came to them and said, you're picking up your child tomorrow, but you owe us $61,000. And for a lot of people, they don't have that in the bank account necessarily. And they're trying to figure it out. And many people do go into debt for a time. What, what would Dave Ramsey say? <laughs> uh, yes. What would Dave say? You know, he says on the air not to wait to have kids till you're out of debt. And Dave knows that family is a blessing. And I always said, this is the only thing I'd be willing to go back into debt for. Mm -hmm. um, but they would say, hey, cash flow it if you can. Um, but kind of like you were saying, April, about the open adoption thing, ask for help. Tell people you're planning to adopt. There's people who are able to help. And it takes a village. And I really think that uh, we need a lot of people to surround us to be able to do anything. So, yeah, they would say, talk about it. Tell people, hey, we're going to adopt. It's going to be way more expensive than having our own kid. How can you help? Yeah, fundraising. Are fine. Money is fine. Yes, yes. Fundraising. And just giving. He talked about giving. Build a community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he talked build about that on the show. Yourself. Right? Is yeah. this, I think you went on like a giving day. Was it Giving Tuesday? Yes. It was the giving show. was um, back in December. Yes. And really helping families not go into debt, especially because we're talking about a human life, right? We're not talking about a new car. We're not talking about the best vacation ever. We're talking about going into debt for a human being. 
and to grow your family. And that is different. That's a different currency, right? And God will take care of you. I believe I can tell you crazy stories. I can tell you how we owed $45,000 and a hailstorm came and destroyed our car and they totaled it out and gave us the money, but the car was still drivable. So we still had the car and they wrote us like a $10,000 check which was our first, and we were like, oh my goodness. I've had stories in here where the person had a house fire and the insurance money like helped them propel it for it. I mean, no one wants a house fire. Nobody wants hail damage. But these are things that happen. You just all of a sudden get a check or somebody comes up to you and they're like, I feel like I want to help you. And if you are in a position right now, maybe you're through adoption, the best way to give back is to help a family that is in the midst of it. Help them also give to a human being. Giving to a human being is amazing. And I know people go off and they're like, agencies are too expensive. Lawyers are this. But it is what it is, right? This family had to come up with $61,000. They were like, how can we refinance on our house? How can we, you know, ask our friends? And and there used to be a time where you just didn't do that. But now we are doing that. And Dave supports that. So what would Dave Ramsey say? He would probably say, do a fundraiser, talk to your church, Yes, you know, make sure you're involved in the giving Tuesdays and really know that people will give to you. People will help you. Yes. And it's funny you mentioned that because there are a lot of grants out there. Mm. Home study companies will send you a list of grants a lot of times that you can apply for. And it's funny because when we were in the process, when we were at the end of all the bills, we thought, oh, we could apply for a grant. You know, this has been very expensive. And we'd already cash flowed the the adoption expenses. We'd already paid everything. And I looked at my husband and I said, hey, I don't feel right about filling out this grant. We had either the money given to us or we earned it or um, what have you. We were able to cash flow this adoption. And I just didn't feel right about taking that from somebody who needed it, who wasn't able to cash flow it. And now it's funny, since we last talked April, we actually hit baby step seven on March 1st. And it's crazy how God just works in your life when you choose to be generous and you choose to have faith in what he can provide. He gave us Gabby. So it was his deal to figure out how we're going to afford it. And we afforded it. And here we are. What's baby step seven? That's the last baby step where you get to live and give like nobody else. So I bet you can't guess what we might be helping with someday. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so awesome. Yes. Turn around and give back. And that's what we do here is we're done with the adoption process, but now we are bringing out these stories so that we can help other families. And we would love to help you. I know we had a guest on a couple episodes ago who said that they funded most of their adoption through the grant companies that we have interviewed. Tell us when you finalized on Gabby, what year? Yes, we finalized last year, April 8th of 2022, four and a half years later. Oh my goodness. And I bet you were just so happy. And did the aunt and uncle get to the mission field? They got to the mission field March 8th, 2022. No way. Literally the month before. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Oh my goodness. It all worked together and you did pay off your adoption and- I mean, Gabby is the cutest. I'm going to post this picture. She's just, she's just so precious. What a gift. She's a ham. And everybody loves her. Yes. And she loves everybody. She makes everyone feel seen and heard. And we're just so blessed to have her in our lives. She is 
Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. And you're going to write a book. Yes. I'm actually about 75% done with a manuscript. It's going to be called The Gabby Effect. And hopefully, Lord willing, that'll come out this year. We would love to have you guys back on. We would love to come. That would be really fun. And thank you to Sally Jackson. I hope you're listening. Yes. Thank you, Aunt Sally. (laughs) I'm so glad you connected us. Thank you so much for being here, Jess. Thank you for having me, April. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on Your Adoption Show. See you next episode.